0: Hi everyone, this is just a short message before today's podcast episode. Um, I like to include these short messages every now and then to keep you up to date with the ministry and with some feedback that's come in. So firstly, I've had a couple of people um, ask recently who I am. Um, They want to know a bit more about me, which makes sense uh, because you want to know who you're listening to when you listen to these podcasts. I deliberately have not sort of talked about myself much um, or my name or where I'm from for a couple of reasons. Well, firstly because I don't want to make it about uh, me as the person. It's really more about the kingdom of God and the text of the Bible. And so that's why, you know, every single day is the same. It's looking at the text of the Bible. So it's not about me. And secondly, I think I would say I wouldn't want this to become a podcast or a ministry that's centered around a personality. There's some ministries that are like that, that are famous because they're associated with a particular person. Um, I'm still quite young myself. I'm If I told you my name, it's probably not one you would recognize. And so... Um, You know, for those reasons, I don't think it's necessary to um, talk a whole lot about myself. Now, that said, uh, for those who do support the ministry, who are Patreon supporters um, of this small Bible ministry, then there is an episode available through you on the Patreon page where I do tell you about myself, uh, my name, my background, and how I got into doing this ministry. So that is available to you if you are genuinely interested in learning more about the ministry. Um, And that episode is available to anyone who becomes a regular donor no matter how much you give um, so if you're interested in that and learning more about the ministry and supporting it because you like what you hear then have a look at the patreon link in the show notes secondly I just wanted to quickly share some feedback that has come through um, this is from someone called Paul Paul said he found this podcast on Spotify for, after searching for daily gospel after finding Christ last year, I have been reading the Bible and watching Mass online, but wanted more. There is nothing like what you provide. Very well researched and informed. I can only imagine the effort it takes to prepare each episode. It provides a richness to the gospel that I couldn't otherwise know, given my lack of historical understanding and study. So, Paul, thank you for your uh, for your words there. I'm so glad you're getting a lot out of this. Um... I think you're right. I think this is a unique podcast, and that's kind of why I do it, because I want to offer something a little different, and it does take a bit of preparation. Um, And so Paul actually went on to become a Patreon supporter. He decided to support the ministry. So, Paul, thank you so much for your support there. Now, this is a small ministry. It's not supported by any parish um, or diocese. So really, if we want the ministry to grow, if you want it to be able to do more things, then I need your support as the listener. And so um, people like Paul are supporting the ministry through Patreon. And even if it's just a small amount, that does make a difference to me and what I'm able to do in terms of planning for the ministry because there are certainly things that I would like to do, um, but I cannot do that without um, a little bit of financial support. It's a small ministry and really to get it, uh, going further to get it off the ground It really is just going to spread by word of mouth And listener support basically So if you do become a Patreon supporter There's benefits available to you So if you give $10 a month or more You get access to bonus exegesis episodes So um, parts of the gospel texts Which you would never hear by going to mass And there are quite a few of those actually It's about 15% of the gospels You'll never hear a mass You get to hear all of it Um, If you become a Patreon supporter, so you get access to um, all the Gospels and exegesis of the entire four Gospels um, Once all those bonus episodes are released And if you give $20 a month or more Then you get access to some catechesis lecture series that I do regularly through my local parish So looking at certain topics and going through the catechism So if you're interested in theology and wanting to learn the Catholic faith in a more systematic way, um, then that might be a really good resource for you as well. And currently, we're going through a series on the kingdom of God. So if you're fascinated by this concept, and it really is quite fascinating, um, then that is available to you if you give $20 a month or more. So thank you for your support as always. Please keep telling others about the ministry. It's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on iTunes, it's on all the usual places. And we'll get into today's episode. Hi again everyone, welcome to Logical Bible Study, and in this podcast we take a look at the gospel reading for today's Mass. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome. What we do is we start by reading today's passage, and then we dive into the text, really trying to get at the literal sense. What does it mean on the most fundamental level? What did the author mean when they chose particular words? What did Jesus mean? And so yeah, let's get into it today. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath, and his teaching made a deep impression on them because he spoke with authority. In the synagogue there was a man who was possessed by the spirit of an unclean devil, and it shouted at the top of of its voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." But Jesus said sharply, Be quiet, come out of him. And the devil, throwing the man down in front of everyone, went out of him without hurting him at all. Astonishment seized them, and they were all saying to one another, What teaching! He gives orders to unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And reports of him went all throughout the surrounding countryside. So whenever we do an exegesis of text, like we do in this podcast, you always want to start by asking, what's the context? What has happened just before this? That's usually a pretty good, um, helpful indicator of how we should understand what's going on. So Jesus has just begun his ministry in Galilee. This is right at the start of his ministry, it would seem. Verse 31, Jesus went down to Capernaum. So Capernaum is a city part that's in Galilee. Galilee is... Uh, the northern part of Israel, the northern sort of countryside part. So Jesus now goes down to Capernaum. Now, some scholars have looked at this and said, well, that must be an error because he's moving, apparently, from Nazareth or maybe from Judea even to Capernaum, and that's actually northwards geographically. So why does Luke here say he's going down to Capernaum? I think the best explanation here, well, I mean, it could just be a feature of the language as we commonly use, that's commonly the way we talk about things anyway, but it could actually be that Capernaum is at a lower elevation, and that is certainly the case. You can go to Capernaum today, and it's very low elevation, so maybe that's what Luke means. So, Capernaum is a fishing town around the Sea of Galilee, and it's Jesus' home base for most of his ministry. You can actually go there today, it's quite a beautiful town to see where Jesus spent most of his time in this little town by the Sea of Galilee. Verse 32, he taught them on the Sabbath. So all Jews were required to attend the local synagogue on the Sabbath day. It was uh, the Sabbath, the synagogue was the, um, the town center for religious teaching about God. But, and so lots of stuff would happen in the week. But on the weekend, all Jews were required to attend the local synagogue. It's not that different from the way the Catholic Church operates now, is it? Um... So what would they do on the weekend or on the Sabbath day? They would do prayer, readings, and instruction in the Old Testament. There was all sorts of officials. There would sometimes be a priest. There was always an overseer of some sort. They usually had elders and assistants as well. Like, it was quite a big thing. It was quite a structured um, service. So usually in the Sabbath service on the weekend at the synagogue, they would have a, a reading from the Old Testament, in fact, a couple of readings, and then there would be a homily of sorts. The homily could be done by any of the leaders or any of the elders, it would seem, Um, someone who knew the scriptures well and who can teach the scriptures well. Either a local elder or if there's a traveling preacher, the traveling preacher can preach as well. And Capernaum was a busy town, so there certainly would have been plenty of preachers available. But in this case, because Jesus is becoming well known as a traveling preacher, he preaches. He preaches. Now, there's actually a synagogue in Capernaum that has been found. It's quite close to Peter's house. We learn later in chapter 7 of the Gospel of Luke that this a synagogue was most likely built or helped to be built by a centurion, a Roman. So, interesting. Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus preached in his homily on this day. We don't get to hear his homily, which is unfortunate. But it says his, deep, his teaching made a deep impression on them because he spoke with authority, And what it literally says there is his word was with authority. And Mark's version of this adds, unlike the scribes. So the scribes don't have authority, according to the people, but Jesus speaks in a way that does have authority. The people were used to hearing from the scribes on weekends, and the scribes had a habit of making things up according to their own ideas, according to what they thought their interpretation was, and apparently a lot of the people weren't fooled by that. But they're immediately struck by Jesus. He seems to genuinely know what he's talking about in his sermon. He knows the word of God, and he appears to be appointed by God. So the people are genuinely amazed by him, and it's a similar reaction to at least the initial reaction of the people in Nazareth when he gave the sermon there in the previous passage. Verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who was possessed. Now, most likely, the demon that's possessing this man is acting incognito. So he's trying to make the man look normal by carrying out his normal daily activities by attending the synagogue. In this case, if that's the right interpretation, then the demon probably didn't know that Jesus would be there that day. He just went to the synagogue because that's what he normally does. Or it could also be that the man himself is in control of his own body. It's just that when Jesus arrives, um, the demon manifests The demon is apparently provoked by whatever Jesus said in his homily. That's what makes the demon wake up and get scared. And Luke here describes the demon as the spirit of an unclean devil. Scholars have pointed out that it's an interesting construction because it's kind of redundant. He says spirit and then devil. Luke is making it really clear to his Gentile readers by using certain Greek words here that this is a spirit. It's not a deity because that word, daemon, In Greek could actually be used for God as well so Luke is making it really clear to his readers who do not probably know the Jewish customs as well that we're dealing here with a lower spirit it's a demon not a deity so demons it's an interesting study to look at demons in the Bible they are actually mentioned in the Old Testament but it's pretty rare and you don't often get possessions in the Old Testament although arguably Saul King Saul had something like that going on Certainly by the time of Jesus, unclean spirits had become quite common, and it was an accepted part of Jewish life. It was somewhat scary, like they didn't know how to deal with demons, but it was quite well known that people could be possessed by demons. The Jews at the time of Jesus didn't have a super clear understanding of what these spirits are, but they knew that they were real and that they possessed people. In fact, the New Testament itself doesn't say a whole lot about their origin either, so, biblically speaking, the origin of demons is pretty pretty murky, actually. Later church teaching will clarify that these demons are basically fallen angels. And that's an interesting study to do. So, this demon shouts at the top of its voice. So, remember, this is in the synagogue. So, everyone would have seen this demon in Capernaum yelling out at Jesus. And he says, ha! Interesting word there, H-A. Some manuscripts have this... Um, as quite different. It it renders it as, leave us alone. So it's almost like a scared expression, leave us alone. And then the demon says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The demon here is a scared, apparently. Let's try and think about what the demon knows. Well, at this point in history, Satan and his demons, they're in control of the world. The kingdom of Satan is basically the kingdom that's running the world at that time before Jesus um, brings the kingdom of God in. So the demons know that the kingdom of God will arrive one day, but they weren't expecting it yet. It caught them off guard. So the demon says to Jesus here, have you come to destroy us? So the demons know how God's plan of salvation is basically going to work, although they don't know everything. They know the basics. They know that when the kingdom of God comes, that the demons will be judged and destroyed. So they know that one day their time is coming when they are going to be destroyed And now they've realized that Jesus is possibly the Messiah and they're worried that he's about to bring the kingdom and destroy them. That's why they say, have you come to destroy us? The demons, like the Jews in Jesus' time, they didn't realize that the kingdom of God actually is going to come in different stages. It's not going to come all at once. So they actually make the same mistake that a lot of the Jewish people did about the expectations of the Messiah. So the demon is worried that he's about to be destroyed, but in fact, that won't happen until the final judgment. So the demon goes on, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Scholars debate exactly what this title means, Holy One of God. Maybe it means a priest or a prophet, or maybe it means Messiah. Either way, it's very early in Jesus' ministry, and Jesus has not yet revealed that he's the Holy One of God. That's not a title he has used of himself. The demon, though, being a spiritual creature, recognizes that Jesus is the Holy One of God, probably means Messiah, So he knows that this is the Messiah and I'm in trouble. This is actually quite fascinating to think about because the demons know, apparently, that God is going to send a Messiah and that he's going to bring in the kingdom of God. And now they know that the Messiah is Jesus. They worked all that out. But what they don't know is this. They don't know the exact timing of the kingdom. They don't know how exactly Jesus is going to bring in the kingdom. They don't realize it will come in stages. And they certainly don't realize that the Messiah is going to die in order to bring salvation. Satan saw it as a victory for Satan when Jesus died on the cross. He didn't realize that by Jesus dying, he's actually going to bring in the kingdom. So the demons knew more than the people in Jesus' time did, but they don't know everything about the mysteries of God's plan. So they caught a bit off guard. Some scholars think that when the demon here says, I know who you are, There might be an element here of the demon trying to catch Jesus off guard because demons frequently claim hidden knowledge of Jesus' identity. So, and in that culture, you would use a person's proper name, their real name in order to gain control of them. So some scholars think the demon is trying to control Jesus by giving him his correct proper name. Verse 35, Jesus said sharply, or literally what it says is Jesus rebuked the devil and he says, be quiet or be muzzled so jesus doesn't yet want his identity known he's not going to have this demon going around saying "Ah, you're the holy one of god jesus actually doesn't want that just yet he doesn't engage the demon in a long conversation here he just wants the demon gone so he performs an exorcism immediately and he says come out of him it's important to realize that jesus is not the first person to do exorcisms there were several preachers and uh, Jewish leaders in the time of Jesus who could do exorcisms. They were so the Jews in Capernaum would have been somewhat familiar with exorcisms, although the Jewish exorcists did things a little differently. So Jesus says, "Come out of him!" And the devil throwing the man in front of everyone. So the demon is trying to resist leaving the man's body. He's throwing the man into convulsions, and as we learn from elsewhere in the Gospels, the demons desire to inhabit a body. They want to be inside a person. So if they are cast out or someone tries to cast them out, they're not going to leave without a fight. Exorcists today will tell you that similar things still happen when they perform exorcisms. It's quite a scary thing uh, to look into. It's fascinating to see the kind of things that happen in an exorcism today because it's very similar to the New Testament, but it is a little bit controversial and a bit scary, um, a bit of a scary topic to look at. And so the demon went out of him without hurting him at all. Now, this is a key fact. The fact that Jesus is able to bring the demon out of the man without the man being harmed, that's a testament to Jesus' power. Apparently, the, um, the other Jewish exorcists in Jesus' time couldn't necessarily do it without hurting the person. They're not powerful enough to do that. So this is a testament to Jesus' power. But what happens to the demon We're not told. Probably the demon is not destroyed, but it is wounded. And we know from elsewhere in the Gospels that what a demon does after it's exercised is it goes and tries to find another body. So demons aren't fully destroyed until the end of time. But by this act of Jesus casting out the demon, he's announcing that the kingdom of God is here. And in fact, he's made clear to his audience that the kingdom of God is real, it's concrete, it has arrived. Jesus is overturning the kingdom of darkness and he's showing that through his exorcisms. So Jesus progressively, as the gospels go on, he dismantles the power of darkness. Verse 36, astonishment sees them. So this is the crowd. Remember, this is all happening in the middle of a synagogue service. They've literally just watched this happen in the synagogue. And they're all saying to one another, what teaching? He gives orders to unclean spirits with authority and power and they come out. So apparently Jesus' strong power to do exorcisms here is quite different from what they used to with their Jewish teachers and scribes. There were some Jewish exorcists who were somewhat effective. They would do it using long incantations and they would sometimes use herbs and roots to get rid of the demons, which is kind of strange, but that's how they did it. Whereas Jesus just comes along here, utters a single, well, a couple of words, and the demon is out of him. So it shows Jesus' incredible power. It's in this sense that Jesus is doing something new. They've never seen an exorcism like this before. Jesus' word has the power to accomplish what it communicates. So the people begin to recognize that Jesus must be anointed by God if he has power over the demons. Not all of them here recognize that he's the Messiah straight away, but they start to realize, wow, this man is something new. He's got authority. Maybe he is anointed by God. Verse 37, reports of him went all through the surrounding countryside. So, Jesus' fame spreads throughout Galilee. That's what the word countryside there refers to. Apparently, the word does not yet reach Judea and Jerusalem, the capital. Just the countryside. So, normally, at this point in the podcast, we finish looking at the text and we turn to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a summary of church teaching, to see what it has to say about this passage. But there's actually no comments... Uh, or no references to this particular passage in the Catechism. So we'll finish today's episode there. Hopefully you learned something a little bit new. We'll continue in Luke in the coming days.